So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom, but do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Station who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it, check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, Torin. You got to see her on camera. You know, she's like um, trying to... We Listen, I'm telling you all, we're going to figure this thing out in a minute. You know, I think this is probably Julie and I, uh, maybe the third, fourth time that we've been on camera now. We're trying to figure out whether or not we can we can release the sauce, as they say. You know, we don't know if we want to give y'all all the sauce. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, because then we got to... You know how it is, Julie. Then you got to change things. You know, you got you to gotta come... I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong with that. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't have to come dressed and prepared. Maybe you could just show up and look any way that you want. What What do you think? Well, I will probably likely shower and I may even put on makeup at the beginning, but I don't really see that lasting forever. I did. However, I haven't shown you. I got the fancy camera you told me about. I clearly haven't figured out where it goes yet. And I have a mic stand that just came. So by the time you see me again, I shall look much Everything's more Everything's going to be right. Everything will so, be right. So wait a minute. How do you feel about the camera? You feel like it's different? Oh, God, yeah. Like night yeah. and day. You can night see it. and day. You can see it on your side. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. yeah you know, I, it, one of the things that, that may be, be helpful, if you can um, go out and find like a gorilla stand uh, by Joby, J-O-B-Y. Um, uh-huh. But you know what? The camera should hook. It, it, I think it has like a hook. When you when you go through all of that, it may have a hook to sit on top of your uh, computer. It does. I've got it in this like little tripod right now. That's probably like kind of what you're talking about because it's like bendable and it has all these yep. little like arms that bend and coordinate. Um, yeah. I just I've been on the phone eight thirty this morning and I have not had time to look at so anything. Should, so it's just. I, I, Right here. <laughs> yeah. So, so I wonder if you don't. So, like, when I get new equipment, um, I try not to be like a kid with the new equipment. But for real, it's like hard no. for me. Like, it's it's like Christmas for me. Like, I get it. I spray it down with Lysol. 
I open that bad boy up. I throw the boxes <laughs> in the corner of the office and I'm always trying. And that's the reason why, you know, I probably should change that that routine because the rushing has caused me to lose files twice. I lost files this January yes. when I got a new system. And then I lost files January. I want to say it was January of last year, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yes. Oh, in the one January of last year was really, <laughs> really bad. It was really bad. So I, I do believe that I probably would be in a better situation if I wasn't such a little kid when I get new stuff. But I like opening it up and Dude, seeing I if can't. it works. Yes, I, I would say I'm much less prepared for today's podcast for two reasons. And one of them is my new toy, the the Brio uh, camera I got. Yay. Thank you for and, that. And hold on. Drum and, roll. Um, drum roll. Drum yes. roll. Drum roll. Okay. I. I got my first vaccine today. I am I so she happy. fucking happy. I know she's happy. <sighs> know and she's literally, happy. I was I was fully planning on today when we were recording being like, hey Tor, if the phone rings, like I'm taking it. You're just gonna have to hang on and the, yeah. and everyone's going with us on this journey. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. at about 30 minutes before we were set to record, I was I got the call. And I'm literally running out the door calling you like Oh my God! Please say you can do it at three thirty. Because if not, I'm not going to be there. Yeah, so, 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 what happened? I mean, is was it so like cancellations on your side? Yeah. So, um, you know, the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine once they're brought to the right temperature, they can only be out for so long. They can't be re refrigerated. Yeah. And so, I've been on a wait list at a clinic right by our house. That if they have extras left over for the day. Then they go through the list of people that are not eligible, but are are waiting. And so I got the call. It was a week and one day. I called last Tuesday, got on the list. And by today, they called and I was in. I got the last one of the day. The lady was like, hi, this is so-and-so from such-and-such. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're about to make me the happiest woman alive. And she's like. Um, really? Like, yeah. yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, and I like that. You know, I like that they're not they're not wasting it. I think mm-hmm. that that's the way to go. Uh, I can't remember where it was. It was either Connecticut or Massachusetts that the uh, the state police, a oh, third yes. of the state police, had not taken the vaccine for whatever reason. And so they figured, oh. well, let's open it up for people similar to you that are on the list. And and the governor came out and said, that was the wrong move. And we're not going to do that again. And so what I took from that story was, so if the first responders, i.e. in this case, the state police and maybe administrative staff and whomever, yeah. if they choose to not take it, are you suggesting that you all are just going to discard the vaccines and not yes. open it up to the public. I I didn't understand if there was some risk there. I, I did I just no. there wasn't enough for the story to me, but I'm like, why throw it away? Yeah, to me it's just plain and simple bureaucracy. You know, yeah. I and I've I've worked for a state before, so I can say that states would rather do harm than break norms, if that makes sense. And it it doesn't make sense. But um yeah, and in Indiana, like literally they opened up 45 and over this week and 
because people aren't getting it, right? People aren't going. So they're going to be able to open up to younger groups faster. And Governor DeWine in Ohio said yesterday that he intends to open it up to the whole state 16 plus at the end of the month. I mean, that's like it. The Midwest states are, I'm sorry, we're, we're backward in a lot of ways um, and execution and education on the vaccine is not getting to the people that it needs to get to. And so that created a situation where I could get mine earlier than what I was supposed to be. I mean, honestly, we weren't planning on getting it until like September, October as it, Chad and I. Wow. Wow, that's that's an accelerated timeline. Right. I mean, obviously, with the J&J approval and um, the Merck production and all of kind of the, the ramping up of the DPA, a lot more vaccines are out than we expected. Um, but still, I had no idea that I was going to be able to get mine this fast. So happy yeah, vaccine no, day. That. Yay. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right. Awesome. So we'll make sure that we get that update on that second shot so that we can continue to share with our listeners how you're feeling. Um, So quick stories just for, um, you know, for our listeners out there, we've talked a lot about, you know, representation, inclusion, representation. And uh, Julie, ever since 2014, I've always said that there are three places that we absolutely have to focus on, not the only places, but if we had like the, uh, uh, the ability to put a triangle up, Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. Wall Street, yep. and the power corridors of Washington, D.C. That's always been my Bermuda Triangle of inclusion and representation. And so okay. we got a story on, on Bloomberg uh, that talks about Wall Street doing a better job of, of representation. And they actually listed uh, 10 incredible African-Americans who they say are doing yeoman's work in their representative organizations and that of course they they are providing example both to their organizations that inclusion and representation work to the shareholders that inclusion okay. and representation works they're modeling to other professionals that inclusion and representation works so i'm absolutely glad that wall street put this quick story out oh, i'm sorry that bloomberg put this quick story out on these uh, 10 black bankers that are reshaping wall street. You can find it. It's a March 16th article uh, on Bloomberg, a really, really short read, probably three or four minutes. Yeah. And nicely half of those black bankers are black female bankers. That's right. Which is pretty amazing. That's right. Hell yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and Columbia University uh, says it's going to do a couple of graduations this year. And of course, you got people up in arms about it. So apparently, Columbia University says that the multicultural graduation ceremony is voluntary and in addition to its main graduation ceremony. Yeah. You know, and, and this, you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of, uh, I don't know if you've been following this. Um, the Bachelor. Apparently, The Bachelor is black. Are you watching uh, this and how it's unfolding? Well, 
So I've only watched two of them because Kennedy was okay. home. So I watched them with her. Disclaimer. Okay. But yes, he is right. he is a very, very handsome black man. Yes. Please go ahead. Okay, got it. And 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 there's apparently some issue with this. Like I, I mean in the oh. viewing audience and and so I mean I'm not a TV person now, so I'm not following it. I can't speak to it, but you know, I just find it amazing that 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 this whole representation thing, like on a TV show, is an issue. So, and and I don't know either. This is just my my guess is that he is a conservative, and okay. so all the all of the young women, young white women, I'm going to guess in in a lot of the cases who are liberal are just shocked that they have found the first back black bachelor and he's a, a Republican. Like you couldn't pick one of the, every other one of them in the whole wide world, black Democrats. You had to find the one that was the black Republican. That's what my child said to me. And that's all I can attest to. Like, that's it. And interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, look, I hope he find. listen, I want Republicans to be in love too. Damn it. If they're in love and, you know, holding hands and walking down streets and skipping, then they won't have time to be, you know, doing some of the other stuff that they've done. So I'm rooting for The Bachelor. Trust me on this. So Columbia University is not doing away with their, you know, their general, grand, big, main theme graduation. But what they are doing this year, and I'm cool with it, they're holding special ceremonies for black students, for Latin students, for LGBTQIA community. They're trying to do something, I think, that is geared towards amplifying and undergirding those communities and saying, you matter and we want to do something special for you and that you are also welcome to participate and be a part of our main graduation. I I don't know. Do you have an opinion on that? I think it's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of times you have graduation by your school, you know, there are different ceremonies that you go through other than main graduation in university. And so if you want to have one based on multiculturalism, who cares? I mean, other than we we all know that the white people are going to be like, but what if I wanted to have an all white graduation, then everyone would be mad at me. And I've been one of those. One of those. You know what's going to happen. I got to tell you, I got to tell you something funny. Uh, The all all lives matter. uh, I'm going to talk about that in my story below. But I can tell you that there are some folks that are upset about what you have in slot number three. Oh, yeah, me too. Um, So the Vatican, um, particularly Pope Francis, who has been the most progressive Pope in, in modern history by any stretch, um, has put out a two page statement in seven languages that says the acknowledgement of homosexual marriages is not in God's plan. And it's not going to, um, be allowable or, agreed upon by the Catholic church. Uh, my children. So are- you said, you Go said ahead. that that didn't, that didn't sit well with you. I'm looking at uh, something on the AP that says Vatican bars, gay union blessing says God can't bless sin. 
So you, that's that's not landing too well with you right now. No, I mean, it, at some point, the church has to modernize or it will die. I, I mean, I'm sorry, my kids are baptized Catholic. I attended Catholic church. I grew up in the church. Um, at, at which point we are willing to cast 20 million plus people around the world into the depths of hell based on the fact that they are in a union that cannot procreate is fucking bullshit, right? I really thought we had a a, a person in this pope that was going to be able to bring the church into modernity. And it, and he's not. He he just he walks right up to the line and he does what everyone does. He chickens out and pulls it back. And yeah. you know, it, it's bullshit. I, I And you know what? And this is exactly why we have separation of church and state in this country. If if we lived by Sharia law, if we live by Christian law, if we live by pick your religion, insert it as a government, and it defined our purpose and it defined our values, my son could not get married. Yeah, but let me jump in, Jay. Jay. So, and I'm going to just pick up on your point of church and state, and I'm going to take it and connect it back to the point you made at the top in terms of the church needs to modernize. And so if I come back down to the bottom of separation of church and state, I think that this is a separation. I think the church is saying, listen, from a biblical standpoint, from a church standpoint, we can't we can't change what we know to be the Ten Commandments or the whatever. I think it's 66 or something. Please note, there is not any there is not any gay banning in the Ten Commandments. Please go ahead. Okay. Um, you're right. You, 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 you were right. Um, so from, from, from the biblical standpoint, you, you have them taking their position from the state standpoint, I could marry you if I'm like, you know, certified to read, read, you know, a marriage, whatever it's called, you could get married. And so I guess what I'm asking is, and and, and I I think I'm asking a question and making a statement. I don't so much so need the church to sanction the marriage as much as I want to see states honor the marriage so that whomever a person chooses is able to take advantage of and benefit from that union. you know, whether it be their insurance policies, um, just all of the things that you get in a marriage. I just want to see the states acknowledge it. What say you? Yes. And that you're at your you're reinforcing and probably saying much more clearly. My point is that this is why the separation of church and state is so critical. If we lived in France in whatever the 15, 1600s, when um, France decided or the Catholic Church decided if someone could get a divorce, could get married, could do all of those things legally under the law of France, then there was no separation of church and state. That's why, you know, Henry the whatever had to like kill all of his wives. That didn't have separation of church and state. 
this is where the separation of church and state becomes essential to the functioning of our union and the inclusiveness of our union. Because if the church ran the state like it has and like a lot of evangelicals would like it to, then people who are gay would not have rights under the law because the church determined their lives to be uh, illicit or sinful. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm no, angry at it. the church. I'm thankful that we do have that separation, if that makes sense. It does. Okay. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And, you know, for listeners out there that are Catholic, uh, we'd love for you to weigh in. I'd love to see, you know, if you're comfortable putting a note up on social media, what's your feeling about the Pope's recent position? We'd love to see your tweet. You know, make sure you tag Jay and I and such, you know, because, again, I think the conversations are healthy. And while we may not always find ourselves in a position of agreement, I think the the conversations are healthy and, and, and I struggle with them. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to struggle through my story later on today. Trust, watch me, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to have that struggle in silence, so to speak. I want, I'm true to who we are, who I am and what it is that we do. And so we're going to have, you know, a difficult conversation. So with that said, let's just get into it. But before we do, um, I'm just going to put this out there kind of as a quote, but it's really a statement. But the question facing the thousands of women, half a world apart is whether anyone finally will listen. I want to let that sit with you for just a moment. It doesn't matter who said it. doesn't really matter where it came from. The question facing the thousands of women, half a world apart is whether anyone finally will listen. Let's get into this week's show. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Such a lively discussion on our intro stories. I'm loving them. Um, So my story this week, I think, will probably surprise some folks um, from HR Dive. Uh, Employees with disabilities are more likely to be micromanaged and less likely to receive recognition from their direct managers. No surprise. Why 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 did you think that, that would surprise people? Uh I think people one don't think about people with disabilities at work very often and two think that when people with disabilities are at work they tend to get extra privileges and extra accommodations and and really get glad-handed um, in their work life because they do have a disability. And so, and that's ableism, right? We've talked about that a lot. Then we see the other side of ableism where we're too hard on our employees with disabilities. We micromanage them and then we turn around and don't give them that same positive feedback when they do well. Yeah. And I, I tend to think that we lean more on the, the latter versus the former. Because when I think about the former, I think about, you know, employers that are really building programs to bring in people with disabilities. These are probably being led by some very thoughtful, emotional, empathetic, human driven individuals like they're centered in that way. They're confident in who they are. They're benevolent in the sense of, listen, we want to give everyone a shot. I, 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 and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that when you are going in and setting up programs, people like Carmen Daniels going in, setting up programs, people like my dear 
uh, dear friend Takia Wright over in Ohio, who works uh, inside of a major insurance carrier, helping them to set up programs. Uh, and she too is a black woman in a wheelchair. You know, you can you can almost tell the individuals who in the room in these conversations are all for it. And even the ones who are all for it, Jay, mm-hmm. that may have a bit of reservation because, all right, well, you know, just help me understand this. I'm even cool with them. But I think you all can probably tell and oh, identify yeah. those folks that are like, uh, this is some bullshit. Like, I don't want to hire them. I don't want to manage them. I don't want to develop them. I don't want to lead yep. them. I don't want to make extra investment in them. And so those are the people that are probably like, yep. yeah, I'm going to micromanage you up out of this joint because I told them that it wouldn't work anyway. So I'm not surprised. Yeah. And see, and that's the thing is that those people don't tell you it's not going to work. So they're not going to say to your face, they're not going to say to a woman with a disability, they're not going to say to a black woman with a physical disability, we don't want y'all, right? They're smart enough to do that, but they are smart enough to turn around right behind your back and start undercutting and hitting those micromanagement and doing those pieces. So on that point, you're absolutely right. When someone's asking questions, I know they're interested. I know they're being thoughtful. If people are quiet, those are the people you got to watch out for. Those are the people that are going to wreck a program before it even starts. So yeah, you're absolutely right on that. But I've also seen the opposite where it's like, there's that assumption that, someone with a disability is getting over on everyone else with an, with, you know, an able-bodied person because, oh yeah, they're getting accommodations or they get all of these special things. They don't have to work as hard as we do because they're disabled, which I think I'm finding less, but I think people still feel it a lot. So I'm wondering, so when we, when you look in the article at, for HR Dive, they, they talk about being micromanaged. Mm-hmm. But then they also raise the issue around recognition. So yep. let's let's just stick with recognition for a moment, because I believe that recognition is extremely important in the workplace. But I'm also not a person who believes in this. Uh, you know, everyone, everyone deserves a trophy philosophy. That's not the way that I, I, I rock. Yes. So does the article talk about no. it like that? Uh, how does the article frame recognition? So it, it doesn't frame it in any other way than receiving positive feedback. So we could take that broadly, right? Um, if they have opportunities for advancement, if they make good skill or use of their skills, if they get a good review, if they get positive feedback on like a, an everyday coaching level. And the, the survey, which was put out by Mercer and Global Disability Inclusion, um, said that there's a 12-point difference between the able-bodied and the disabled group of peers. And this is over almost 2 million employee responses to this survey, which is wow. pretty, yeah, pretty That's sizable. Yeah. yeah, that's no, not not pretty sizable. <laughs> that is sizable. Yeah, no, um, two million. What was it? Global or just North America? Um, I think it was global. It doesn't say, um, but okay. since Mercer's global, I'll assume that it is. All and right. yeah, so I mean, and that's the thing that we talk about a lot in our coaching is that because people have biases, they will look to really 
dial in on the faults or the things that aren't working right instead of having empathy and and saying, okay, I'm your leader. It is my goal to lead you into how to be successful in this role, how to be successful in this position. And it's been so important in my life as as a woman, period, and as a woman with a disability to have leaders that could teach me in different ways, right? How to eat the elephant, how to to organize a, a project top to bottom, how to not get overwhelmed, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and the assumption that we all learn the same and we all want to be managed the same is so much of the reason why we're losing good talent for bad management and bad leadership, that's going to be especially impactful if you have a different way of communicating, a different way of learning, a different way of processing, or a different way of physically engaging with your peers and your leaders. So I think it's a really important story and just goes back to what we talk about all the time is you have to you have to teach people how to unlearn the biases that they've have in their life and how to recognize that they're there and then start to teach direct people leaders how to lead and not just to do. Um, and so great work by, you know, Meg and her team over at Global DI, Global DNI and Mercer. This is definitely worth jumping into some more depth with. So we'll post it. Um, and there's also a study from last year from New Hampshire's Institute on Disability um, about workers being left behind who have disabilities, even though we have made some great progress. So lots of work to do. Think about how you lead. Think about how you teach people to think and process differently. And you'll be thankful you did, disability or not. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's important to note, you know, I'm, I, well, I mean, I'm not making a major call out here, but you know, for Julie and I, Crazy and the King is really about our opinion. You know, we use the stories and then we contribute and build color, layer, context, texture around the stories. And, and you know, a good percentage of that is our opinion. Sure, we'll throw in some data, some stat to support, you know, a direction, uh, a line of thinking, if you will. Uh, but a good portion of what you are listening to each and every week is opinion. And we appreciate you've listened to opinion. And so after this particular commercial from Jobvite, I'm going to give you my opinion and it might ruffle a bit of feathers <laughs> this week, but it's oh, what it is. Can't wait. Yeah. So let's listen to Jobvite real quick. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode. Have you heard about the new Jobvite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next-gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right. 
I'm ready for my feathers to be ruffled. Bring it. So I'm just telling you, I'm troubled, you know, by two things that I saw earlier in the week. And actually, Julie, this kind of gets into your sandbox of politics. Um, you know, I, I'm sitting here right now, literally on, on the corner of my desk. You know, every time we record, I always come with something. So I got an almond candy bar and I have a caramel candy bar. I ate the dark chocolate one earlier waiting uh, while you were getting the shot. But nonetheless, <laughs> I, I left two here. So I said we can be fair uh, because this particular week I am absolutely troubled. And I don't know which one of these jokers I want to hit first. Um, so, okay. so so, here's what we're going to do. Here, here's what we're going to do. We normally, you know, from, from a political standpoint, we probably normally pick on the conservatives. So this week, probably <laughs> this week, you know, I'm going to pick on the Democrats for the liberals first. So, okay. okay. Here's a story. Um, I learned that California has a bill under consideration that would ban boys and girls sections in big department stores. Did you see that? In the toy section or just this, just period? So if you go inside of a, you know, a big retail store and you can, yeah. you know, you, you got a couple that come to mind, some that are still in business, yeah. a couple of them that have gone out of business. But if we were inside of these stores, mm -hmm. according to this law that's under proposal in California, they are going to get rid of okay. a boy's toy section and a girl's okay. toy section. The bill was introduced okay. by Assemblyman Evan Lowe. Um, and I, I got a problem with that. He, he says uh, he's the co-author, former math teacher, I guess. Okay. Um, or let me, let, me, let me just see. I'm trying to find. Uh, I should have highlighted this. He says, we just want to let kids be kids. He, we okay. just want to let kids be kids. Stop divvying up toys and childcare items into boys and girls sections. <laughs> I want you to look straight in the camera so you can see my face. If that is not... <laughs> If that is not some of the dumbest shit that I've ever heard, because if I'm letting kids be kids, then kids will go and pick up a toy and it don't matter what aisle it's in. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't recall ever as a child struggling to find a toy that I wanted to play with. I didn't really play with dolls and I had two sisters when I was growing up. That doesn't make me a bad child and it doesn't make me confused no. as a child either. I played with what right. I played with. I played with what interests me. And I'm, you know, the struggle that I'm having with this, Julie, and I swear to God, I'm trying not to curse, but I, the struggle that I have with this is are we as, <laughs> As adults, 
Are we muddying up this, this conversation for our young people? Are we actually influencing them through the conversation that we are having? I, I guess that's my question. Oh my God, we could spend an hour on this. Um, so top down, Let, let's start with the, the article. So I don't have young kids, you know that. I have a young niece and when we go to like Walmart or whatever and we look at toys, um, there's not really a boy section or a girl section at Walmart um, of toys. Now there is, you can see a grouping, right? The dolls sure. are together and then the Barbies are with them. The GI Joes sure. are over here with the cars. So while there's not those specific sections, there is grouping. Sure. And, and I don't like, I don't really ascribe to boys only play with boy toys and girls only play with girl toys. Like that's not, I, I think the issue, I think it's just not encouraging females away from like STEM type or engineering type of things. So like, where are the Legos? Where are the science kits? Where are those things that generally, I think, again, opinion, would be more situated in the male section of the, the toys. I want girls to get to those same toys. Not that they couldn't, but would they be less likely to be drawn to that aisle? Because it's also the aisle with the GI Joes. So like, could we just yeah. have a, a STEM aisle of the toys? Like something like that? I, I think there's that. Because I've been guilty as a parent of training my daughters to be polite and kind and acquiesce sometimes when I should not teach them to be that I'm, I'm guilty of that gender stereotyping in my kids. Obviously I have a gay son. So we've been dealing with um, figuring out our way on that all at the same time. I think there are, there are advantages to having no gender-based signage and making sure that there are STEM toys and that kind of thing in all of the sections. I think it's, I think there's an opportunity still in the toy department to have like a, a pink tax, you know what a pink tax is? Like no. women's, women's razors are more expensive than men's razors, women's shaving cream, like all of our things that come in pretty colors that are based for women. We actually pay more for those for the exact same product in a different color than a man. And it's called a pink tax. Never heard of and that so I think that that we have almost that same kind of structure where girls are going to be driven to non-science, non-STEM kind of toys because they're expected to nurture and to mother and all of that stuff that women still take on at a greater rate than a man. But I don't, so so I mean, so what 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 I hear when I hear you say that is I, again, going back to us, I said, I think that we are the ones muddying up this conversation for our children. And as yes. a woman, you know, if I'm Julie, if I'm, if I'm Julie taking my niece into, you know, the Walmart, as you just described, if I'm torn and my granddaughter, she calls me abuelo 
and 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 I and as abuelo, I take her into the store. It's my responsibility to say, well, what about the science kit? Like she just turned nine. Uh, My granddaughter just turned nine this past weekend. And so I was originally looking for like uh, a telescope so that she could see some of the stars and all of that. Mm -hmm. And what I ended up getting her was a drone. I ended up purchasing her a drone so that she could get Mm -hmm. out and fly and have a great time and all that other stuff. And the only trouble I got in was from my kings. My kings was like, well, shit, we ain't even got a drone. Um, so, you know, you, you buy the drone, you, you know, you buy the drone for the, for the grandchild. We don't even have one yet, but so but I just find it. So, so what a lot, what I, and what I didn't know is that a lot of vendors have already started to strip the packaging from gender identification. You know how it would say for boys three plus and up or for girls six plus and yep. up, they began to take that off of the packaging. And honestly, Jay, I don't have a problem with that. If the, if the packaging has to be pink, let the packaging be pink. If it's going to be purple or red or blue, let it be purple, red or blue. But I don't think that we should struggle with, you know, um, I mean, it's not the biggest of deals, but when you start talking about finding retailers, they're going to find retailers that don't adhere to the signage piece. I think that that's just like going yeah. too far. And we're just really we're we're making this conversation harder than it has to be. And yep. we don't we are not building any favor, as they would say, on the other side. Yeah. And well, and I think that sometimes I'll say this as a, as a progressive liberal socialist, whatever you want to call me. Sometimes we miss the forest for the trees. Right. Miss we the don't forest for the trees. address. Yeah, we don't address the mega systemic issues. We get caught up in making sure that they take down gender-based signage in the toy aisle, right? Like if we were educating, if we were dealing with our school systems that provided equal opportunity to boys and girls when it came to STEM, when it came to nurturing and family raising and all of those things, and we as a society started to deal with the the labels we put on ourselves based on our gender, we wouldn't have to worry about gender-based signage, right? We would be dealing with the big things, but we want to pick a fight over this little fucking thing that, you know, I mean, even the article says Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us phased out gender-based signage in its toy section six years ago. So like, why do we, you know, it, it... the market is following what the market does. I don't think we need to legislate this tree and miss the whole forest. And miss the whole forest, which takes me to the other side, which is what pissed me off. And so on that side, I found the article in the New York Times. It says how some states are moving to restrict transgender women in sports. How some states are moving to restrict transgender women in sports. And as soon as you open the article up, it shows a trans woman, you know, in a race in high school and basically in Mississippi. And I think the number now, Julie, is like 36 states. There is some form of legislation that is simply saying, if you are a trans woman, you cannot compete in uh, girls. I I say women's. I'm trying to say girls' sports in yeah. high school. If you are a trans 
man, I don't think they've really talked about that, but the conversation is really hinging around the competitiveness in women's sports. And I got to tell you, this is straight up. I'm putting it all out there this week. I'm putting it all out there. I honestly don't have a problem with it being more of a case-by-case scenario. And I say to myself, I think about how big LeBron James was in high school. And if LeBron James decided that he wanted to transition to be a, being a woman and then playing women's basketball, I'd have a fucking problem with that. So who does it hurt? I mean, like, are the other women not going to get to play because LeBron is is bigger than them or like what you're you're talking about, like the versus like the physical, mental damage that you're doing to these most vulnerable children versus maybe my kid always coming in second in a race. So sorry, I interrupted. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. No, I wanted to be a discussion. And and I guess I guess for me, you know, the reason I'm upset with it is because, again. When I think about how the conservatives are approaching this conversation and the length in which they are going to to have this conversation, I feel like, as you eloquently put it, we're missing the trees. And I think in many of these instances, and I could absolutely be wrong, but I think in many of these instances, it's a safe transition. And in meaning, the person who has transitioned over to be, whether it be a woman or transitioned to be a man, that the physical attribute is not in like a LeBron James example. And so therefore, it. I just feel like it, it fits and we're making a big deal about something that shouldn't be. I don't feel like it's okay. Yeah. I just don't feel like it's, it, it's not a LeBron issue to me. It's more of, okay, well, you know, and, and look at the image on, in the story. I, like, honestly, the first time I saw the, the story, I didn't even see number four. Cause I didn't read the subtext under the image. I literally looked at the picture and mm-hmm. said, that's four women running. I swear to God. Yeah. I said four, and I only looked at the sub text as we are recording. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't even know. So from a physical yeah. standpoint, it it fit in with me. And quite frankly, they lose it in the race. Yeah. So I'm well, just, and it I, says I'm, very clearly that it's a bill to bar transgender women and girls from competing in women's sports. So it's not, you're right to your point, it's not men's sports, right? They're they're fine if the transgender men go get their ass whooped in a race, but the transgender women can't come and win a race. And so it's it's selective even in its discrimination that it, it's really focused on how to keep transgender women out of being recognized healthy and competitive transgender men not mentioned. Yeah. And I mean, and this has been like a, this has been, I've, I've caught stories on, you know, in my listening, you know, the few times that I've been in my vehicle 
over the last couple of months. Um, I've caught various stories. I, I remember a caller calling into one of the shows and said, well, why don't why don't we just create uh, a league for transgender athletes? And I said, I don't think it's that many. I don't think it's enough yeah. to create a league. And And, you know, here's part of my struggle. The human side of me says, I want them to be able to compete. Full, full, full transparency, Jay. I want them to be able to yeah. compete. What I don't want is for someone to get hurt. That I don't want to see. But and then I okay. immediately say to myself, but people get hurt all the time in athletics. Trans or not, yes. they get hurt all yes. the time in athletics. So again, my human side is, I just want people to be able to, you, let's find a way for them to yeah, compete. I, I'm with you. Yeah. And, and, and I think that this is just a, it's a, it might be a bit of a generational struggle, whereas my kids and the Kings probably know transgender kids, there are friends and it never even comes up, right? Like we've had, we've had our, our kids have brought their friends over who are um, non-binary, transgender, like whatever. And it just doesn't matter to our kids in the same way that you and I are processing it. And I don't think it's bad that we're processing it. I think this is like the place that you and I get to come and have these conversations. Um, but our kids are just, this is much more normal. And I think that as the science continues to become more clear, we will get more comfortable with how to support everyone, how to support the, the kids who are competing as transgender athletes and those that are competing as, as cisgender athletes, but we have to talk through it. Like, what are the concerns? What are the worries? Um, but from a conservative perspective, right, this is the last time this whole transgender thing came up was the bathroom bills right yep. around that time. It was time to start electing a non-democratic president, right? These are like the, the angry, um, culture wars that the right feeds on and feeds to their base to so that they they can continue to siphon all of the money out to corporations and all of the money out to to themselves and keep poor white people poor and then that's very political but these are it's these are debates that just drive anger and fury and those kind of things. Whereas there is not factual science that says gender is determined at birth. There is not factual science that says um, someone who competes against a transgender athlete is guaranteed to lose or to have this injury or to have this, you know, nothing, but there is data that proves that these kids are much more likely to commit suicide. They're much more likely to be homeless, um, kicked out by their families, abuse drugs and alcohol, get into dangerous sexual relationships, be assaulted, be murdered. We need to protect the people that need protected. My daughter who ran 
in high school and who ran in college did not need protected from a transgender athlete. The transgender athletes need need it protected from the parents in most cases and society because they work so hard to vilify kids who are just fucking figuring things out. Yeah, we were in a conversation uh, last uh, week with Craig Fisher uh, at Talent Net, and mm-hmm. uh, on that particular panel, it was uh, Celinda Appleby, Adi Barreto, and myself uh-huh. uh, with Craig Fisher, and that's what I was alluding to at the top of the uh, uh, the episode here. Adi, you know, Adi and I got into uh, a discussion, and I was explaining to participants why i removed pronouns from my email signature and i won't relitigate that Mm -hmm. but what adi said was listen that's torrent's choice and quite frankly given all that we need to consider as a trans individual um that's the least of my concern i'm more concerned with the homicide the murders the not being able to get housing Um, you know, all of the things that absolutely matter as it relates to humanity and being able to move through life. And so I was so appreciative of her, yep. uh, of, I'm sorry, of him taking that position and, and stating that in our conversation, because I never want to have these conversations and someone say that Torrance transphobic because he's not, I'm not, no. I'm not transphobic. No. I'm just trying to absolutely understand why we are making some of the decisions that we are making um, and, you know, also wrestling with some of, you know, what I, what I've known most of my life and how I'm now having to reprogram some of those thoughts and, you know, being honest and and moving and living through the mistakes and, or some of the mischaracterizations, mispronunciations and, you know, miss, um, misgreetings, if you will, I made a whole bunch of mistakes and I'm going to make a whole bunch more. But these two stories really got under my skin this week. Yeah, well, I, and I mean, I think that that that's what you and I talk about a lot is that this is a journey that's never going to end. I've never right. you and I've had some tough conversations. I've never felt anything other than that you were um, working through questions and recognizing, you know, you and I both grew up in religious houses where biases exist and how you have to process out those biases. You're unlearning. I'm unlearning all the time. And we teach each other things, you know, regularly. And I think it says, you know, it's the example of what we should be as DNI leaders willing to admit where we have opportunity to grow, but also being patient on the other side to provide that space to grow, right? If if I had a had something that I screwed up, you don't bite my head off, but you'll tell me like, hey, Julie, don't say that again. Or if you have a question, I try to answer it with as much understanding of where you're coming from as as I can. So that way we grow together and that's how it should work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Real quick before we get out of here. Um, Ooh, thanks so much, Jay. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, so this is a national, we are in National Deaf History Month. It's celebrated from March 13th through April 15th. And it is uh, in place to commemorate, commemorate the achievements of people who are deaf and, of course, hard of hearing. Uh, the time frame is spread across March and April in recognition of three turning points in deaf education history 
dating all the way back to the early 1800s. So I don't know what your organization may be doing. I don't know if you were aware of Deaf History Month, but it's March 13th through April 15th. Find something that you can place out on social media, not in a performative way, but you know, in an instructional and in an um, educational way, if you will. Consider something that you might be able to do in the organization. Um, and if it's not this year, put it on your calendar so that you are better prepared to celebrate next year. Do you have any name drops? Um, I do not this week, but you can catch me on the 18th. So tomorrow, or I guess today when this pod drops at Unbiased Day 2021, put on by the team in Sweden at TNG and Ada Digital. And next week on the 25th, I will be delivering the keynote for Totalent out of uh, the Netherlands and hope that you will uh, check it out. They're both free for registration and come join us and, and do some learning. I know that's right. And make sure when you put that out, uh, Julie, tag me in the tweet so that I can um, I can go out and share that. And on tomorrow, I'll be doing the closing keynote at 11 a.m. for the HR Technology Conference and Expo. I don't know if you can still register, but you can certainly go to the link hrtechnologyconference.com. Again, hrtechnologyconference.com. Um, yeah, do that and see where else we are because i got a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks but we close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice be a better human let's create better culture teams and workplaces for now jay and i are ghosts see ya So, Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you 
and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.